It takes more than great refactoring skills to be a great software engineer. This is episode 109 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a podcast where we answer all of your non-technical questions about the technical field of software development. Sometimes we make jokes about what it's not about, and (laughs) today we did not because I couldn't think of one. So uh, you're welcome, depending on how much you (laughs) dislike my jokes. (laughs) We've got some patrons to thank. Yes, we'd like to thank Nick Cantar, Dimitro and Neonilla, David Jackson, Chris Fitkin, Ken Howard, Sean Clayton, and Dustin Coates. All these wonderful people are contributing to our Patreon at the level where we thank them every single week. Thank you so much for your contributions. If you'd like to contribute, go to patreon.com slash softskillseng. Your money goes to pay for hosting costs, editing costs, and to Jameson's general well-being. I have expensive tastes in <laughs> thermostats. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, would you like to read our first question? I would love to, Dave. This is from an anonymous listener, uh, and it goes a little something like this. <laughs> Sing Thanks it. for the awesome. <laughs> Operatically. <laughs> Thanks for the awesome podcast. Your topics have been timely and well-argued, and I can't thank you enough for your insights. I run a small dev team. One junior developer constantly, openly challenges things that don't meet their preference. As a manager, I don't want to stifle innovation, but need to find a balance on being able to meet business goals on schedule. Some examples are, they routinely call our current process stupid and make snarky comments about leadership, myself included, and up the chain. While I often agree we have limited resources and have to keep the business running, we can't always afford big changes to our source control, adopting new frameworks, and major infrastructure changes. Very often, this developer isn't privy to the information that has gone into the system we currently work in. I've tried to empower the team, but this particular dev is taking that concept way too, po- way too far and becoming disruptive. Really wondering what your thoughts are on these cowboy types. Any suggestions on how to rein them in a bit without dropping a hammer or being autocratic would be really helpful. Is it possible to have it both ways, empowered and under control? Cowboys, yeehaw! I, I grew you up know, in Cowboys Texas. love our new frameworks. <laughs> new cattle rustling frameworks. Yeah, what if we... Let's see, how would you have a new cattle rustling framework? Maybe you made a pyramid out of cows, and so only the <laughs> bottom cows would run. <laughs> there is a Python web framework called Pyramid, if I recall correctly. Okay. So well, that's already been done. Uh, shoot. Well, it's I can not, do it again. I mean, it's a framework. Yeah, pyramid right? 2.0. You have to reinvent stuff. <laughs> um, All right. Hmm. Junior developer who clearly is strongly opinionated, missing some context, and also doesn't have a filter. <laughs> this is a trope I've heard a lot, and I found <laughs> yeah. it true in my own experience of um, the, the earlier I was in my career, the stronger my opinions were in general. Mm-hmm. And the more experience I have, the more relaxed my opinions have become in general. There are some things I have stronger opinions about, but overall, I am way less opinionated than I was at the beginning of my career. Yeah, me too, especially when it comes to technology choice or tool choice. I've really I've really set those opinions aside. Um, but the other thing that has attenuated in my career is how vocal I am, especially in like a, a team setting where everyone is there. I would never call something, well, okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, as I was saying, I would never call something stupid in a team setting. I was just having like my life flash before my eyes, thinking of all the times I've in recent memory called something stupid. (sighs) But you did it with a twinkle in your eye. Yeah. And a smile on your face. Okay. 
and gladness in your heart. Those that that smile and twinkle excuses all kinds of evils. It does. Yeah, you could get away with a lot with a twinkle in your eye. <laughs> Maybe that's the coaching this developer needs. Just smile a little bit more when you call <laughs> stuff stupid. When you're criticizing, then you might look me. like a serial killer. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I really think your ideas are just the worst. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to be alone in a cubicle with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have too much blood inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid to have all this extra blood. Let's get that out. <laughs> that went morbid really fast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not me. It's it's the serial killer. It's oh, their yeah. Fault. Yeah, clearly this wasn't your ridiculously disgusting idea. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so this is clearly a. I agree that this is a problem. Um, it's a problem because a lot of reasons. One reason is it might make people flip the bozo bit on this person. Have you heard of that term? Have we discussed that in the podcast? I, I don't think remember. we. I don't think we have, and I don't think I've heard it. But it instantly. I instantly got what you're talking about. I think. So oh, explain. Okay, I'll try and explain it. The bozo bit is basically just. It just means is this person credible or not, and when when. When you flip the bozo bit, it means you just think, okay, they've like ranted enough times and said enough dumb things that I just know the stuff they say is not correct or worth listening to. And the risk is that you do that prematurely and then you discard valuable input from someone that you've just written off, basically. And as a defense mechanism, the team might write this person off, right? If they mm-hmm. hear their the way they do stuff is stupid enough times, they might just think, well, they just hate everything we do and... They don't express it constructively, and so we just don't have to listen to them anymore because it hurts Mm -hmm. to listen to them. (laughs) Yeah. Not only is it not constructive, but it actually hurts a little. Yeah. But also, the the flip side is new people have a superpower of fresh perspective. We've talked about this before. I think Mm -hmm. Julia Evans probably is this. I I remember her saying something about this. When you join a new company, you have this superpower of not being used to the way things work. And so a lot of people get used to the way things work and then um, don't recognize how much pain they're causing. Mm-hmm. So you just assume, oh, I have to make five tickets through three different departments to get this thing done instead of have an API for it or whatever the specific example is. And when you're new to a company, you don't have that scar tissue built up. You you don't have the calluses, the organizational calluses, I guess. So that's a valuable input. But if if the way they express that input is this is all stupid, it's hard input to take. Yes, that's very. That's a very good way to describe it, I think. Why, thank you. So I, if I were this person's manager, I would sit down with them and provide a little bit of coaching. And I think the coaching I would provide is I would say, your opinions are great. Your passion is great. But the way that you're expressing it is, is a lossy medium. When you say something is stupid, that is actually not accurate and not specific enough to fix. Instead, if you can quantify what made you conclude that this is stupid in such a way that someone else can also conclude that it's stupid, then we can maybe make traction on a fix. So in other words, instead of saying our source control, which we're using subversion, is stupid, you could say... If we switched to Mercurial, we would get all these advantages and we would set we would leave behind all these different problems that we have with subversion. Right? By the way, I chose two mostly out of favor <laughs> revision control systems to avoid saying the obvious. Let's just use GitHub. 
Yeah. But anyway, now I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail about from Mercurial fans. <laughs> I think my I haven't used it very much, but I, I feel like I've heard Mercurial is pretty great. It's just not used as much as Git. Yeah. Anyway, this person need this person is like a raging wildfire. They certainly produce a lot of heat, and that's great, but they also destroy everything in its path. We need to turn this person into a laser that can pre- apply precision heat, precision focus right on something that matters and actually get it done instead of just torching everything. And I think if you do that with a little coaching session, you could probably redirect this energy to something constructive. Yeah. There, there's a hierarchy here, right? And saying this is stupid is the lowest level of discourse about solving technical problems. And the next level is this is stupid. If we did this thing, it would solve these problems. And then the level above that is this is stupid. If we change to this thing, it'll solve these problems. Here's the cost of changing to this thing and the plan for doing it. And so that lets you evaluate, can we actually do it? Because if you just say in a vacuum, right, like subversion is better than files on a floppy disk that we hand back to each other. That's probably true. But there's all these processes and and experience built around the existing tooling and and way that they work, and just you can't just snap your fingers and switch to it. There's a cost. Mm-hmm. So if if you just come in and say this is stupid without the context, uh, that's that's another thing that could get you written off, right? Is like yeah, it's stupid, but we have 80 million lines of COBOL, <laughs> so we can't <laughs> we we can't just switch to write it all in Rust. Like that's not that's not a possibility given the resources we have. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right that this developer needs some coaching and maybe coaching them on looking to understand the context more and looking to figure out the costs and, and the trade-offs is helpful. You could also sell it as a benefit for them, right? If they if they hate this thing so much and they want it changed, they're probably less likely to get it changed if they just kind of stamp their foot and are grumpy about it. Mm-hmm. Especially as a new person on the team, they don't have a built-up reputation with the team of getting stuff done and credibility. So just coming in from the outside and saying, this is stupid and, and, and knocking stuff down, that's unlikely to get people onto your side. So it's not going to help them. If, if you say, yeah, you could catch it as if you actually want to fix this, you need to persuade instead of just complain. And that will help solve the problem. If the problem you're trying to solve is like, you don't complain enough, then sure. <laughs> saying this is stupid will help solve that problem, but it won't really, it's not the most effective way to change things. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I, I, I kind of equate this person's actions to backseat driver actions. You know, this is the person that sits in the back of the, the car and calls out mistakes that the driver is making. But but really, they only call out the mistakes that they see, and they certainly don't see everything that the driver sees. And most importantly, they do not feel the pressure of delivering the vehicle and its occupants safely to its destination that the driver feels. And I think a little bit of extra responsibility might actually help this person to to better formulate their thoughts in a way that takes into account all the constraints on the decisions that are being made and not just the inner fire that burns in their heart because they want to use this new framework so badly. If they understood yeah. like the business constraints or the people constraints, kind of like what you were just describing, Jameson, that that, that there are zero there are non-zero costs with changing a business or an organization Um, but also understanding that in the past there were constraints that went into these things and you can't expect this person to just know what those constraints were without telling them and so i think that it might make sense to you for you as a manager to have some kind of documentation describing here's where we are here's why we have what we have and these are the constraints that informed these decisions 
such that if you want to change the way we do things in one of these areas, make sure that it also meets these constraints and is respectful to the the history that brought us here and make to, you know to make sure that you don't actually like throw a baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I've heard of places that have RFC processes for making technical decisions. And as part of that, you create kind of a spec and a design document and describe the trade-offs and describe the reasoning. And then once you once those get accepted, they're kind of that record that you mentioned of here's why this decision was made. Here's what was going on at the time. Maybe they had three developers in two months to do it and that affected their approach. And mm-hmm. So if you hand this person the 80 million lines of COBOL and say, it's great that you want to change this, You've got three quarters <laughs> and two people, and here's your here's your shot. <laughs> yep, should be fine, well, right? Yeah, that sounds like a really bad idea after I say it, because eighty million lines of COBOL is probably a very important project. But the the principle of like trying to help them understand the constraints, I think, is valuable, and and maybe they'll only understand it if you put give them the opportunity to fix stuff. By the way, just to give you a little bit of hope or maybe to fill you with dread, this person you're describing was me. <laughs> not really not that long ago, frankly. Uh I've I've often been very passionate and heated in the way I describe problems, and I've not often had the greatest tact and diplomacy when when sharing my opinions of others, including my own manager in front of others. And I've have been called out for this behavior in the past for basically undermining my manager. Um, and he very subtly gave me this feedback one time a few years ago and said, you know, Dave, uh, and he, he basically told me a story about his past where he had done this to his manager and how it came to his attention. And it took a couple of days for me to realize that that was not just a fun story from his past. He was telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling me because, yes, indeed, it was me. So you might have to go a little bit past subtle with this person because clearly subtlety is not their strong suit. But don't be afraid to do it. And if this person clearly has talent and passion, let's not let's not put that to waste. I would recommend coaching that. Let's focus this thing. Yeah, I think if you if you really want to help them improve, th- this has to change. And so that makes it easier to have a conversation about why the approach they're taking isn't working. Yep. Really for their benefit. It's not just for the team. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not you calling them out on their bad behavior. It's you saying, "Hey, to be more effective, you need to do these things. Absolutely. All right. Have we answered the question? I think so. I think so. And I would love to hear how this goes. So if you have this conversation or choose to coach them in some way, we would love to hear back about how that went. Yeah, please let us know. All right, Dave, do you want to read our next question? Sure. This comes from a listener named Adam. And Adam writes, I want to add an automatic formatting tool to our code, but my coworker is resistant to the idea. He started the project and I'm brand new to it. I don't want to push it too much, but I would really love to use it. I've shared with him all the reasons that it could be good and addressed most of his concerns. I've also submitted a pull request to show him what it would look like. Also, he is in another time zone nine hours away, so communication is all on GitHub, Slack, and the occasional video call if I wake up early. He finally said, if it really helps me, then I can go for it, but I don't think we—I don't think he would like it if I did. Should I go for it, try to convince him more, or just drop it? Hmm... I like this question because it's kind of, in some ways, the inverse of the last question. The last question was a new team member coming in, trying to say all the existing things were dumb and needed to change. And this is a new team member coming in and trying to change something. And the specifics of, I don't know, maybe Adam's leaving out the part where he calls the existing formatting stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> that part sounds different, yeah. but it's still kind of related. 
Yeah, it is. Um, although I'd say in this case, Adam has taken a very healthy track because he has talked about the idea. He's extolled its virtues. He's prepared a pull request to show the rest of the team what it would look like. He's being very diplomatic and cautious, and he's not forcing it on anyone, maybe even to a fault. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, this is it's just so fascinating, the interaction, because the thing that they're working on is code, and it runs on computers, and it's very objective, and it's a sequence of instructions that get executed. But the act of writing code on a team is a very social thing. It's very fuzzy how you interact with other people. And this is one of those fuzzy boundaries where it seems like they they don't really want you to do it. And you might have kind of worn them down <laughs> by being <laughs> persistent and helpful and friendly and, and showing all the benefits. And from the brief description of the question, it sounds like they're still not convinced, but they are ready to give up. <laughs> and so the, the question I, is i thought you were gonna say ready to give it a try nope <laughs> oh no it's it, i read it as they're like oh they're, they're just gonna keep bugging me if i don't say yes so yep whatever if you want if you think it's a good idea go for it and then you hear them going like this and if you can't tell <laughs> that is the sound of me washing my hands so there's there's this very social human fuzzy interaction happening and the one of the things you could do is just say, well, they said yes in the pull request. Boop, merge. Too late. Mm -hmm. uh, you could try and convince them more. You could drop it. I am all in favor personally of automatic code formatting tools. So I think this specific thing I personally would be in favor of. I actually did this to my team, but they were much easier to sell on it. So it wasn't that big of a deal to convince them. Yeah. What you're really talking about is code ownership. Right? Who owns the code? Who has the ability to impose new standards on the code? And Adam is a new team member, a new person on this team. This other person wrote the project. And so I think a lot of the friction might be coming from the team member feeling like they own the code and Adam coming in and trying to change their code mm. or trying to change their standards. Yeah, And that's the thing you could address explicitly maybe and say like, how do we decide on standards? Is it just whoever's been there the longest kind of sets the standard or you could just recognize that there's probably going to be some resistance to me as a new person setting standards and i'm willing to put up with that in order to get this particular standard set yeah or not right like you might decide you know i'll just table this for six months and i'll come back to it later after i've had a chance to establish myself as a contributing member on this team yeah i think it's worth it because i think the benefits of this particular technical decision are, are great i think it makes it Automatic code formatting eliminates a lot of useless decisions and mm -hmm. it just makes it easier for other people to jump into the code base. Mm -hmm. Style is just a really personal thing that people get very, very involved in and hung up on. So maybe the hang up is particularly about style, not about standards, but... It could be. You know, I, one of the things that I think a lot of people fail to take into account with decisions like this is the passage of time. Time has an effect on all of these decisions. You can either wait to implement it, you know, to let the idea percolate in people's minds. And in that case, time takes an effect. Or you can uh, you can implement it with a, with a uh, time limit where you say, look, we're going to assess this for two months. And after two months, we'll reassess and decide if we're going to pull it out. And you can let that time have an effect. Hmm. And, and in that case, you'll, the, the effect time will have will be that it will actually give people firsthand experience with the tool so they can speak from a much stronger position of authority when they comment on it rather than just saying, that eh, sounds like crap. I don't want to use that. 
I would say that putting in place a time limit, either for yourself to reintroduce this problem or for your team members to have a chance to pull the escape hatch button and get out, uh, will really have a dampening effect, I think, on the on how controversial this is at this moment in time. Here's the secret. It's really not that easy to pull out. <laughs> because even if you pull the formatting tool out, the code's already all been reformatted, and then there's probably <laughs> been changes since then, so you're not going to just revert and lose two months of progress on the code. That's true. You can also use time as an evil weapon where you could say, yeah. oh, no, this is just an experiment. Don't worry. You know, it's and then it- really easy to go back as long as no one does any work between now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, its tentacles get all wrapped around your keyboard. Yes. Excellent. Perfect. Have you ever heard the concept of a two-way door versus a one-way door? I have not. This is a cultural concept that I hear a lot in my company. And the idea I only is- go, if I go through a door, that's it. I can't. Once I'm in my office right now, I buy a new house every time I leave. (laughs) I believe they're all one-way doors, so you might be about to blow my mind. (laughs) I'm about about to save you a lot of money, Jameson. Okay. (laughs) There are decisions that are one-way and irreversible, and we call those one-way doors. And there are decisions which are easy to back out of and say, never mind. And we call those two-way doors. For decisions that are two-way doors, you should not spend so much time debating them. You should try to Get to resolution quickly. And if you can't, just say, hey, we're going to take a chance on this and see if it works out. And if it doesn't, we'll bail. Right? And then let the evidence speak for itself. But with a one-way door, and I think, by the way, this is a two-way door situation. With a one-way door, you really need to deliberate and analyze and discuss before you really make that decision and get locked into that thing. I would put this in the category of one-way door, even though it's going to apply some formatting to your code, maybe. And maybe you could set it up so that it's less of a one-way door, where you could just say, look, we're going to only apply formatting to the files that we change um, between here and the end of our experiment. Yeah. So you're saying the the burden of consensus is higher on a one-way door decision versus a two-way door one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think you should go for it but I am having trouble articulating why. Because <laughs> the downside is you might just piss off the, the coworker on your on the code base, right? Who's been there a long time. But I don't know that waiting, it's like you want to establish the culture, like I said earlier, of who who owns this code, who is allowed to do what on the code. And if the answer is only the person that has been there and written it all is allowed to do stuff on the code, then you're kind of just their lackey and you don't, you don't get to contribute as much, right? This... This idea of applying automated automated formatting is one of your contributions to the code base beyond the features that you write. And, and it feels like when you join a team, the assumption is you get to contribute in lots of ways instead of just crank out features that fit the narrow confines of the existing standards. Yeah. I'm on board with the two, by the way, for what it's worth. Okay. Well, we both agree. Sounds like it's a done deal. <laughs> we haven't talked about the communication thing, though, right? Nine hours away, they all communicate asynchronously. It's hard to do in-person, face-to-face communication. Yeah. In my experience, decisions where people disagree or have hard feelings are are trickier in distributed communication like that. It's a lot easier yeah. to disagree and work through problems and feelings in person than in GitHub comments and things can come across a little bit more abrupt or a little bit snarkier than they would in real life, especially if you don't have the in-person context of of knowing just how the person communicates normally. So I think that doesn't make this easier. I saw someone the other day say several days of back and forth in a pull request can save minutes of pair programming time. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think that's true. There's the benefit of synchronous communication is it's very high bandwidth. So it uh it it might be worth just like one final in person or or video call communication just to talk through it and you wouldn't necessarily have to change your mind, but just to make sure that their feelings are understood and, and you have addressed them as much as you can and you still feel good instead of leaving it all in just this back and forth asynchronous communication. I agree. I think that's a great idea. All right. Have we helped Adam? I think so. Ship it. Ship that formatter. Yep. Sounds great. Dave, what can people do if they would like to be helped as much as our <laughs> question askers have been helped today? <laughs> Which is to say, maybe not that much. Well, maybe you did a, a great job. <laughs> well, I thought you did good. So maybe they, oh. maybe they did. Maybe they did get okay. some help today. Anyway, yeah. what, what they can do is go to our website at softskills.audio and click on Ask a Question, where you can enter your question. And from there, we will take it away and eventually get to it. Thank you so much to everyone who has given us questions. There are so many. We cannot get to them all, but we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for people who are listening. We've had a couple of weeks of sickness that have made us put out some reruns. And we're glad to be back. We're glad that you're back listening to new episodes, too. Please come back. Please. (laughs) If you had any idea how much of Jameson's self-esteem relies on you coming back each week, you would feel awfully guilty. It turns out self-esteem is a unit, and the numbers that measure it are numbers of listeners to my podcast. (laughs) All right. Catch you next week.